Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Tonight's topic, very important, be, being aware of seduction and deception. Being aware of seduction and deception. On your notes there, during prayer one day, the Lord told Brother Barclay that the most effective weapons that, that Satan would use against the body of Christ would be seduction and deception. And the most potent weapon most potent weapon he would use against the ministry gifts would be slander. Now, let me explain that last statement. That doesn't mean nobody else will get slandered. But the most potent gift, the most potent weapon against the ministry gifts, fivefold ministry gifts, the number one weapon people would use against the fivefold ministry gifts would be slander. Now, I'll tell you what, some of this stuff needs to be called out. I'm very, I'm very proud of Mario Murillo, who is a national known minister who has been doing <clears throat> massive tent crusades. They did a, a three-day or four-day tent revival up in Colorado. They had 600-plus salvations. They had thousands of miracles. I mean, he, he just added to his tent this last year, made it as big as he could, and yet people showed up hours early and still actually can't get them all under the tent. So thank God God's doing some stuff in our country. And I'm very grateful that he has called out, not by name. If you look up the statement, you know who it is. He has called out these false prophets of our day, one of which is very prominent. And he said, enough's enough. I've waited for national loan ministers to say something nobody has. It's been on my heart for a long time. But at some point, somebody's got to start dealing with all these false prophets. And he, and he put a long statement of what a recent false prophet lady said. Well, she'd been false for a long time. Not like she's, you know. But the truth is, you know, uh, even Brother Hagin said this. Don't misunderstand me. But listen, even Brother Hagin said it. And, and we see this in the Bible, Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, you can only go so far to deal with certain things, and God eventually may just put an end to it. Brother Hagin said, and, and he said the same thing. Brother Hagin said, if some of these ministers don't repent, they'll fall dead. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, you got to realize that when you get into a position of, of falsely prophesying to the degree with the intent of misleading people, deceiving people. Now, if you're deceived, that's one thing. But most of these people who are false prophets, they're walking in seduction, not deception. They've been seduced into this. They want to do it. They like the attention it brings them. They like the power they feel like they get from it. But it's all false. It's all false stuff. And the truth is, I mean, the, the prophecy was ridiculous. I mean, it's about all this stuff they say. They, this gal says that Jesus comes and gets her and takes her to heaven all the time. Uh, that ought to pre, you know, be a pretty big wake-up call right there. But the other thing is, we don't need to be listening to them anyway. Right? Prophets of the New Testament are not to give us guidance and direction. Number two, we bring prophets that we know their fruits into our church to speak to you. And then number three, on top of that, you know, all this stuff that they're doing, which I love what Mario said. All these things that these people say, the body of Christ that listen to, listens to them, it gets their focus on the wrong thing. Instead of being focused on what God wants to be doing in the day that we're living, it becomes all about me and heaven and all this kind of stuff and so thank God somebody's dealing with it. Amen? 
Because seduction and deception is for obviously for real, and it happens all the time, sadly, even through other people. So let's go through the definitions. You ready? Yes. That's three of you. You ready? Yes. Seduction. It means when you are influenced by an outside voice. Seduction means you've been influenced by an outside voice. Underline or circle or highlight the word, whatever you're doing on your notes, the word influenced. See, that's the goal. Seduction is powerless if it can't influence you. Deception is powerless if it cannot influence you. If it cannot influence you, it can't affect your life. But this is what seduction and deception does. When you are influenced by an outside voice, seduction by a person or a demon. And I told you this many times, demons love to use people to do this. By a person or a demon. Watch, to do something you normally what? Would never have done. You're you're seduced to doing something you would have normally never have done. Notice this. You knew inside. Say inside. Inside. See, because you wouldn't admit it outwardly. When people are seduced, they don't say, oh, I'm seduced and I don't mind. I just like being seduced. No, they're going to tell you that there's nothing wrong with what they're doing, nothing wrong with what they're believing, nothing wrong with what they're saying, et cetera, et cetera. But inside, as a believer, they know what they're doing is wrong. So inside, they know it's wrong. Notice, when you did it, that it was wrong, you knew it, you had that warning, but you were convicted about it while you were in the act. But the draw of seduction was so strong, you had trouble fleeing from it. Chose not to walk away from it. What's deception? This is, to me, even worse because deception can only be, uh, be something that you come out of by submission to higher authority. Nobody wants to do that today. Let me back up. I'm sorry, Lord, I will not make that statement. Very few people want to do that today. Not nobody. Thank God there are some of you that want to do that. But there's, it, it is a sad day to see how many people will not receive correction today. And so deception, obviously, if you're deceived, guess what you got to receive? Correction. Because you're deceived. So deception is when an outside voice, person or demon, influenced you to do something you normally would never do. And while you did it, you didn't realize it was wrong. You were convinced it was okay. Underline that. You were convinced it was okay. You were tricked and fooled and you were deceived. And I'll guarantee you stay there unless you receive what? Correction. And then slander, again, it doesn't mean slander isn't against anybody in the body of Christ except the fivefold ministry. No, people slander people all the time. He's talking about in the context of a weapon primarily used against fivefold ministry. And that's why he defines slander as this. One who communicates anything right or wrong, true or false, that causes a minister to lose any part of his integrity, reputation, or public image. So like even the person we're talking about with the false prophecy, is it wrong to bring it out in context to relationship to that person falsely prophesying to address the prophecy itself? No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about you don't talk about the individual. You can say what they do is wrong. If you know and it's proven what they're doing and it's wrong to say that's wrong has, is not slander. Okay, if a minister is caught in adultery, they admit it and you say, they were caught in adultery. Is that slander? No, because you're talking about what they did, not the person. Slander is focusing on the individual where you start trying to devalue the person in the eyes of other people. So you got to understand this, though, about seduction and deception, especially deception. Um, The book of Hebrews is clear. The book of Hebrews says that all of us, As believers, born again, children of God, are not without correction. 
That didn't mean it, that doesn't mean we don't that all everybody receives it. But there is no person in the body of Christ, including me. There's nobody in the body of Christ devoid of God's correction. If you're a child of God, guess what you're going to continue to be? Corrected. God's going to continue to correct you. Now, it should not be in major sins as you grow up in God. But I'm talking about little adjustments, things you say, things you do. Like I just said right now, nobody seems to, nobody wants to receive correction. The Holy Spirit, that's not true. I received the correction. But see, when people stop receiving correction by leadership, you're in a position to now walk in the fullness of deception. Because you have nobody to submit to that can correct you to get you out of that deception. I'm going to tell you something really important. The sad part about it is especially leadership. Any person who is in a position of leadership, any per- person, fivefold ministry, context, elders in the church, the Bible says that if they sin, you're to rebuke them openly. We can't even do that today with most people. Why? They get offended. But it says to rebuke them openly because they're supposed to be mature enough to acknowledge that was wrong, shouldn't have done that. And the Bible says by rebuking, rebuking them openly, everybody can learn. Everybody can learn. Not, oh, let's all look at how bad this person is. No, man, I don't want to be doing that. But you got to understand something. Here's what I want to get to. Remember what he said here? This is an influence by a person or a demon. If a person's deceived, how do I know it? They don't receive correction. If you know anybody that obviously is out of line with the Word of God and they've been corrected and won't receive it, they walk away from that correction, let me help you. You better stop listening to them. They're deceived. If they're not receiving correction, where are they? Deceived. What can they do? Deceive you. You understand? So this is what Brother uh, Brother Summerall brought up over and over and over again is the devil tends to use people more than coming directly at believers. Because what he'll do is he'll get from an aspect of a relationship you've had with that person, he'll get you to believe that person because of the relationship with them other than the leadership that's already shown you clearly what they're doing is wrong. Can I help you? The leadership is always better to go with than relationship. Because if leadership is pointing to the Bible, they're not coming up with their own opinion. They're saying, this is what the Bible says. And if they're not going to receive the correction, that means they're what? What are they? Come on, I've said it about three times now. If they don't receive correction, any of us, if we don't receive correction, guess what we are? If I would have sat here and not received correction with what I just said, guess what I would be? Deceived. Saying nobody receives correction. That's not true. That would be deceived. So you got to realize that the moment somebody's in a position where they won't receive correction... Guess what? You better, ladies and gentlemen, I know I keep bringing it up, but you better watch your little Facebook ties and all your posts and all your little back and forth and stuff because if that person's deceived, guess what the devil's already trying to do to you? Trying to deceive you. 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you're there, put a smile on your face. Say amen. amen. This is good stuff to learn because we need to be aware of seduction and deception. 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit says, Holy Spirit The Spirit expressly says, in the latter times. We there yet? In the latter times. Some will do what? They'll depart even from the faith. Meaning obedience to God. Right? Noah built an ark. What did Noah do? That's faith. That's faith. Many will depart from the faith. They won't do what God says. They won't do what the Word teaches. They'll depart from the faith. Watch this. Giving heed to what? Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Two, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron. So the people that are misleading others into this 
have, are, are those who have a doctrine of hypocrisy. They tell people one thing, but they don't do that. They do something totally different. So it's like I told you, national, world-known minister, who one of our spiritual fathers sat down with, telling everybody today, don't repent. And I guarantee you, when he was addressed directly in a private room with the spiritual father of ours, what do you do when you sin? I repent, but you're telling everybody else not to. You're speaking lies and hypocrisy. And you're searing your conscience through. Meaning, what's your conscience? Tell me. And if you sear your voice of your spirit through, guess what? Your spirit's going to be obviously something that you're no longer going to listen to. So you're going to become far more carnal and far more fleshly ruled. Verse 3, they'll go on even to talk about forbidding to marry. In other words, that you don't really need to marry. No reason for it. I know young people today, man, lots of young people today. Some even in my family living together don't think you need to marry. Uh, no, God said you need to. Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Uh, for, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with what? Thanksgiving. Five, for it is sanctified by the word of God and what? I thought about it today when we were at lunch. You know, I think about it often when we pray at our house or pray in a restaurant or whatever before we eat. I wonder how many Christians really pray seriously knowing I'm releasing faith. This food is being set apart to do me good. And I'm thankful God's given. Or they just kind of going through the motions of, well, that's what Christians do. And then some don't do it when other people are listening because they don't want to embarrass themselves. Let me help you. Go to the kitchen where they cook that food. Let's see how serious you get about your prayer life. Or the plant, plants where they put this food in boxes or whatever. It's kind of like Kathy said. I thought of Kathy's situation in relationship to this where she talked about the, the, the lady who took these youth. And they were actually up in the upper area thinking that they were, you know, hiding from, you know, people that were coming to get them. And, huh? In their, in their attic. And they had people knock on the door that they knew and said, hey, we know you're Christians. And they really thought they were coming after them. And then when they got up there, they realized there were people they knew. But then they said, now let's pray. For those who are being persecuted. I mean, you know, they're going to pray a little bit different now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I guarantee I delivered eggs. I'm not going to tell you for who. I delivered for eggs for a restaurant in this, in, in all over the, actually all over America. And I'm going to tell you what, walking in and out of those restaurants, I guarantee you that made me wake up as a Christian and say, this is why you need to pray. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So realize you and I, anything we give thanks for is what? Sanctified. Are you really thankful for it? In other words, when you're, when you're talking to God about it. You know, I, I don't mind it. It's okay. Bless the hands that prepared it. That's not going to sanctify that food. I mean, you want to say it, that's fine. But that's kind of a, just a routine people get into. And that's what makes me think a lot of times, are you really listening to what you're praying? Are you serious about thanking God for it that you know you're releasing faith? Because you need to be. I said you need to be. Six, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be what? You'll be a good minister talking to Timothy of Jesus Christ. You'll be nourished in the words of faith. Listen to that. By, by warning them about these deceiving and seducing spirits, you will be nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward what? Godliness or being like God. So <clears throat> let's go to number one on your notes. The Bible warns us that in the latter times, some would depart from what? <clears throat> it says they would depart from the faith, which is Christianity. Active Christianity, doing what Jesus would do Walking in light of the word. 
And 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 7 tells us that. Right there in verse 1. 1a, giving heed to, do, to doing what? Seducing spirits. This will happen because they start giving heed to these spirits that are at work to lead them astray. B, realize that these spirits have always been here. They're not just showing up. <clears throat> They've always been here. Since the very beginning of the fall. Since, excuse me, back before that. Since Satan was kicked down here to the planet. These spirits have always been here, but believers never live loose enough to uh, loose enough to give them any place in their lives. How I many of the Bible says, "Give Satan no place"? Why the warning? In the latter times, this will happen because lifestyle of believers will get looser and looser. They'll give place to Satan for this to happen. Uh, see, these demons will not only hinder you, but they will actually cause you to pull away from Jesus Christ. D, remember that, like God, the devil, demons, uses people. Ultimately, it is the devil who is the accuser of the brethren, but most likely he will use someone, a human, as his oracle or his mouthpiece. So you got to be aware of this. Amen? Point number two, you also need to realize that demons will what? They'll indoctrinate you. Watch what he said again there in verse 1. He said, giving heed to deceiving spirits and what? And what? Doctrines of demons. They'll indoctrinate you. They'll indoctrinate you with false doctrine, false teaching. Now, realize the devil knows to indoctrinate you with false teaching. It's not going to sound blatantly bad. It's going to have some truth mixed in with it. He got to do something to try to get you to take the bait. Right? How many fishers, fishermen, how many like to fish? Women, fisher, fishermen, fisherwomen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I guess we're going to have to take Becky fishing. <laughs> Becky still likes to fish. Don't don't like to fish anymore. Becky likes to when you go fishing, right, that the whole purpose of that lure is to convince that fish that what? It's real. Right. It's real. But guess what's hanging on it? Them little hooks. Yeah. And see, a lot of people are like those fish, man. What they're looking at sounds good. And so they take the bait. But once they do, the hook's been set. And, and now, obviously, they've got to get free from that or they're going to continue to go the wrong direction. 2A, the strategy or trickery of Satan and demons is to slowly, underline that, slowly change your mind. It's not like this blatant, in-your-face, absolute turnaround of something you believe. You know, again, I mean, sadly, I've watched this happen for 33 years as a pastor. I've watched people who learned truths here, who grew up in those truths, who began to see their life change, things started going well, and all of a sudden down the road, the very things that we've shown black and white in the Bible now, well, I don't know that I believe that anymore. What? Wait a minute, you believe that all these years you saw it work in your life, you saw God show you all through the Word of God time and again that this is exactly what the Bible says, and now you don't believe it anymore? Because you're pulling away from God. Because you're pulling away from the things of God. You're not coming to the house of God. You're not fellowshiping with God like you used to, and so now you've got to start coming up with some excuses for your loose lifestyle. By saying excuses, meaning what? Well, I don't believe that more. I think I think different now. Okay, but God doesn't. Tell somebody God didn't change his mind just because you did. Go ahead, tell them. God didn't change his mind just because you did. You can change your mind about Scripture, but God don't change his mind about it. To be, notice, they will not violently approach demons. Uh, uh, Christians, excuse me, demons will not violently approach Christians. They won't come at you just blatant, you know, oh man, you, you know, this is what you need to do, and it's totally clear that it's of Satan and, and demonic. No, it's a slow process. It's a slow process. To see, they will slowly place thoughts in you that are contrary to what? 
Underline that. Contrary to the Word of God. They'll slowly start placing these, these, plot, these thoughts in you that are contrary to the Word of God until you do what? Change your mind. Now, what's the primary way Satan is going to put these thoughts in you to change your mind? What's the primary way he's going to slowly do that? What do you think? Primary ways to other people. Because here's what happens. I've wa- Again, I've watched this. You do learn some stuff pastoring. Just, just doing it, you learn some stuff. And I watch this pattern over and over and over again. I can go back years ago from the very beginning. Where all of a sudden somebody starts getting misled and deceived. You try to help them. They won't listen to you. But they're still in the church and they start influencing others they have a relationship with. And before long, that person pulls out. And now these people are right behind them. And here they go. And, they pull, and they're trying to influence others. And here we go. And I've watched it all my life as a pastor. Now, there's a difference between going to a church and saying, I don't really believe this is my pastor. I've never really connected here, and I know I need to go somewhere else. But you probably would have figured that out uh, under, you know, 20 years or, you know, I mean, yeah. within 20, 18, 20, 15, 20 years, you probably figured that out. You guys got to realize, though, that it doesn't mean I can't ever leave a church if I know God's called me in relationship to somebody else I never was connected to this pastor. I can't remember his name. We had a guy in our church a couple of years. He came to me and he said, you know, pastor, I love you. You teach the word. You're a great teacher of the word. But, I, you know, I've never connected here. I said, I know that. I've known that about you. And he said, I need to find a pastor. I said, yeah, you do. I've told you for years from the pulpit. If I'm not your pastor, find him. He said, I just like the teaching so much. I've, you know, I've stayed to hang on to the teaching. I said, it doesn't mean you can't still pick up some of our teaching. But you know what? You got to go find your shepherd. And I'm going to pray you do. Nothing wrong with that. Thank God for people who wake up to that reality and want to go out and get connected. Amen? But there's a difference in that and somebody who learns about connecting with a pastor, knows that you're their shepherd, tells you over and over again, and now all of a sudden you're not. So you got to realize you got to watch out for that. Page 2. 2D. Indoctrination. What is it? Indoctrination is a teaching process. Say that. It is a teaching process. This is why you must know who is teaching you the Word of God. You got to know their fruits because if you don't, this context of this indoctrination of false doctrine is a slow teaching process as well. Listening to the wrong people. So I didn't finish my statement. How is it that oftentimes this happens in people's lives? Listening to somebody else, obviously in the church. But what about listening to other ministers you shouldn't be listening to? You know, a lot of people today with social media, they like to follow all these other things that post all these little scriptures and different things and da 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 da. You don't know the people behind them. Now, they're just posting a verse, wonderful, it's the Word of God. You know, I mean, if you're just getting a verse every day, hallelujah, glory to God. They're not giving their opinion, they're just posting the Word of God. But they start, you know, they start attaching their opinion to that, and you don't know them. Guess what? You need to be careful because you could be being indoctrinated. The devil knows this more than Christians do, and that's how he works, is to try to get people indoctrinated with false doctrines. Here's what Satan wants to do. If I can get you... To be able to be misled in seduction or deception, I now have you as one of my helpers. I'll say that again. If he can get an individual seduced or deceived, he now has you as one of his helpers. You listening? If I'm seduced or I'm deceived, who did that to me? Satan did. In some way I gave into that, right? Seduction knowing in my heart. Deception, not submitting to leadership, not submitting to correction. But if I'm seduced or deceived, guess what I now am? I'm a pawn of the devil. I'm an agent of his. Like Kathy just said, a double agent. It's like Judas. Judas, when he was around all the other disciples, acted like one of them. Come on. So much, he was so good at it. Think about this. He was so good at it. 
that at the Last Supper, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, guess what they said? Who is it? Which one? But I will promise you, Judas didn't go bad overnight. He's slowly being indoctrinated through different friends outside of this influence, right? Pastor teaches on the, teach that all the time. He had two sets of friends. And I guarantee you, that was, that's what got him in trouble. Guess what we're going to talk about Wednesday night? Friends. Talk about friends. So number three, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Beware of the enemies of your faith. Let's find out what they are. I mentioned this morning we would be seeing this verse tonight. Colossians chapter 2, just back up from where you are in Timothy to Colossians chapter 2. So we got to be, beware of the enemies to our faith. We do not want to depart from the faith, active Christianity. We want to stay true to the faith. Amen? Amen. Think about what several times God's brought up today in our services. We got to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So what's really happening? Believe it or not, you might not realize it, but really the devil's getting your eyes off of Jesus. Because if you're not walking by faith, you're not looking to the author and finisher of your faith. That phrase in Hebrews 12 says, looking to Jesus, verse 2, the author and finisher of your faith, it means with undivided attention. That you don't get distracted by other things to look away from Jesus. Colossians 2.8. So let's look at some of these enemies to our faith. As we talked about this morning. Beware lest anyone cheat you through what? So underline that word, philosophy. We don't want to be cheated through what? Philosophy. And underline these two words, empty deceit. Philosophy, empty deceit. Now I taught you this this morning briefly in our message this morning. I'm going to come back because I told you we are going to see this tonight. But I'm going to show you what these are. What is philosophy? He tells you. Philosophy is according, underline this, the tra- to the, underline the tradition of men. That's philosophy. That's philosophy. So you could tie a little, you know, little line between the two or whatever. But philosophy is the tradition of men. What is empty deceit? It's the second thing he brings up. According to the basic principles of the world. Underline that. That's empty deceit. Because the basic principles of the world are what promise you everything and eventually pull you in, get you sucked in, and then do what? Leave you high and dry and take advantage of your life. I think of all the people over the years who I've watched in even uh, some circles with alcoholism in my family that have gotten sucked into alcohol, drugs. You know, it's, it's a seduction to think this is a relief. This is a, like I know people that, it's not always the case. It can be influence of others just to get you involved in it. I get that. But a lot of people I've seen with alcohol, they get seduced in alcohol because they actually think alcohol is going to help them to get relief from all their problems. To not have to have all this pressure on them. And that's a form of what? Seduction. To draw you in to say, hey, this will help you. But how many know the end result is not good? That's, that's their tradition of the world. That's their tradition of the world. But the, again, the philosophy uh, relating, to, again, to empty deceit. Philosophy is what? Traditions of men. Name a tradition of a man. Name one. Anybody know any? Healing's not for today. Tradition of man. Tongues is not for today. Passed away with the disciples. Tradition of man. You're not helping me. Once saved, always saved. Tradition of man. I don't need to go to church, tradition of man. I don't need a shepherd, tradition of man. And many, many more we could go through, right? So realize these are all traditions of man, philosophy. Because you'll hear even, you know, quote, unquote, believers who say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need a shepherd. Okay, where do you get that from the Bible? Well, I know Jesus, praise God. Well, evidently not real well. 
Not what you think you do. Because if you knew Jesus, you'd know his word, and his word doesn't teach you that. Well, okay, so yeah, I got a friend, you know, who I know, told me, come on, man, that church stuff is ridiculous, shepherd stuff, you're just going to get into bondage, you know, submit to some shepherd, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So you got to realize all those are traditions of men. Now, there's some truth to the fact that you don't want to just go to any church. Right? You don't want just any shepherd. I don't want to be under a false shepherd. But obviously, again, see, that's where seduction comes in. A little bit of truth, but then it leads to a, quote-unquote, a tradition of man that now says, I don't need church because I got Jesus. I guarantee you, you need church. Whether you realize it or not, if you come here and do this right, if you do this with all your heart, you're here to hear from God, you're doing what the Bible said, you're exhorting one another to good works when you come, loving on each other, believe it or not, you will walk out of here with stuff imparted to you you didn't even realize. It's not just what you get in your brain of an understanding of the Bible. I want to I convey this to you. Uh, I've, said it, I've shared it a couple times. Wigglesworth, when he met uh, Dr. Summerall, said, I want you to come see me at my house. Yes, sir, I'll be there. What time do you want me to be there? You can come anytime. I want you to come visit me. Okay. First day at his house, he shows up. He goes in the house. He's thinking, this great man of God who's walked so close with God, he's going to give me the intimate little detailed secrets of what has been the success of his ministry all of his life. And actually he did, without realizing he was getting it. But he said, here we are, first day. He said, come on into my study. So they go into his study. His, his, one of his daughters was living with him at the time. She went and, and got his uh, testament, got his Bible, and got him something to drink. And they sat down. And he said, you got your Bible with you, son? Yep, open it up to this verse. So they opened it up. I've, I've listened to Summerall talk about this. And he said, so I open up to this first verse, and he just starts reading the Bible. He didn't teach me anything from it. He just starts reading the Bible. He just reads through these verses. Now turn to these verses. So we turn to these verses. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> he reads these verses. And so he said, we did this for probably, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes. He said, all right, put your Bible up. We're done reading the Bible. Set it down. He said, get down on your knees here. We're going to pray. And so Wigglesworth started praying. He didn't pray over him. He didn't pray anything in him. He just started talking to God, just started worshiping God, praising God, praying to God. And he said, for, you know, the first 10, 15 minutes, I'm kind of peeking at him, you know, once in a while, like, you know, is there something going on I'm not seeing or something? I should be learning something out of this, right? But he just goes on and on. He said, this went on like for the first week. And he said, for the first, this every day. He said, what we did every day. When we got done praying, he said, like the first time we prayed for about an hour, and then he all of a sudden just stops. He just stops. He gets up, and he says, that's it. We're done today. See you tomorrow. And he went off and left, came back the next day. He said, he just did this day after day. He said, it took me a week to deal with myself because of how we're wired as individuals to think, I got to know, I got to know, I got to know, I got to know, I got to know something, got to know something. He said, it took me like a week to realize God was imparting to me the whole time. And I was sitting there in that man's presence by the scriptures he was reading, by the prayers he was praying. Come on, Monday night prayer group. If you're here praying, which is just not a group, it's supposed to be our church. On Monday nights when we pray, guess what? We pray in the Holy Ghost. And we're doing that. We're praying in the perfect will of God. And how many know when we're doing that, things are happening? Even though you don't see them. Even though you don't feel them. Right? So he said, literally, I didn't realize in the months that I got to spend with him, the impartation I got was daily just sitting hearing the scripture read. God was imparting to me, because see, we think we're going to get something from the minister. No. 
No, you don't want something from the minister. You want something from God. See, when you come to church and you give attention to the word being preached, you're getting something where you realize it or not. Now, if you're not paying attention, you're just distracted, can't wait to get out of here, looking at the clock, when are we going to go, checking your Facebook, hope you're not doing that, checking your Instagram, whatever, can't wait to get out of here, I'm hungry, come on, pastor, I got a busy week, let me help you. Nothing's being imparted to you because you're not listening. You're not listening. But God's word is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It is spirit and it is life. And if you're hearing that word, guess what's getting imparted to you? Spirit and life. When you pray in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's praying in the perfect will of God. Guess what's getting imparted to you? The very words of God that God will bring to pass that are spirit and life. But see, people don't get this about church. They don't realize I'm getting something whether I realize it or not. It took him like a week to figure it out. And then he said, okay, God, I'm just going to go and enjoy my time with Smith Wigglesworth. Let him read scripture to me. Enjoy that time together and know the words being imparted into my life. Amen. So, again, we want to beware of what? Philosophy and empty deceit. What's philosophy? Traditions of men. What's empty deceit? Basic principles of the world. We don't want to do either one, right? 3A. You receive Christ, now do what? Walk in him. Live it. Two, uh, B talks about this in the previous verse. Be rooted in him. C, be built up in him. D, establish in what? The faith. E, live as you've been taught. Live as you've been taught. What words imparted you? Live it. F, abounding. Let me back up. Don't just live it. Do it consistently, day in and day out. Because I have people come to me all the time about the same problems constantly in different areas of their life. And yeah, we all have problems. But you know what? I'm just going to go right back to the Word again. I'm going to say, but here's what the Word says. Don't ever tell me, well, I tried that. No, 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 no. You live that. And you keep doing it until it changes your situation. Not all things get changed overnight. Have you figured that out yet? Not all things do. But the Word goes to work. And really, honestly, it's not the situation that needs to be changed as much as we do. It's really us that's need to be changed by that word. Amen? Uh, F, uh, we're to be abounding in the word, teaching with what? Thanksgiving. G, we need to beware. One, lest anyone what? Cheat you through this philosophy or empty deceit. Two, watch out for what? The tradition of men and watch out for what? Basic principles of the world. Guard your life against it. 1 Corinthians 15, I love this verse. Now this to me is the key verse of the night. 1 Corinthians 15. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, turn there if you would, 1 Corinthians 15, on your notes we're going to number 4, decide now, say now, now. say now. now, don't wait till tomorrow, I said don't wait till tomorrow, don't wait till after you go to bed tonight, decide now that you are going to tough it out no matter what, yes. meaning what, I'm not going to stop doing what God said to do. I'm not going to stop submitting. I'm not going to stop living the Bible. I'm not going to stop practicing the Word. I'm not going to stop practicing the presence of God in my life, enjoying my relationship with Him. I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Watch this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, watch this. Underline these words. Be one, steadfast. So this is something you have to do. Be steadfast. Two, immovable. Three, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Yes. Say steadfast. steadfast. Like you mean it, steadfast. steadfast. Like the devil's trying to get you to stop. Immovable. Immovable. Always abounding. Always. 
in the work of the Lord. Now listen, part of the work of the Lord, I'm excited about this new series that we're about to get to in a couple weeks, about how you can set up good for your future. How God through you can set up good for your future. He wants to. But the key law that I keep hearing more and more and more and more and teachings that I'm now finding that I've never heard before by people like Kenyon, who Brother Hagin learned much from, and Brother Hagin, the key spiritual law in your life, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to, I pray you learn this, I hope you get it in this series. The key spiritual law that affects your life more than anything else is... Anybody know? Want to take a shot at it? What's the key spiritual law that affects your life more than anything else in the context of this life that you live? Your words. Your words. There's an entire chapter, James 3, dedicated to it. And there's all kinds of Proverbs on it, Psalms on it. Your words. It's a spiritual law. Your words are carriers. They're carriers. When you speak those words, they're carrying what you spoke. And if you believe in what you spoke, guess what? It's coming to pass. Good or bad. Because James says, if you learn to do what? Bridle the tongue. Guess what you can do? You can bring your entire body under control. You know what that means? Your flesh will no longer rule you. But it all has to do with my words. And here's the problem. You can't tame the tongue. James told you. Well, how do I deal with it? We'll talk about it in that series. But you got to understand your words are the most significant spiritual law affecting your life more than anything else you can name. Your words are affecting your life more than anything else in this life that you live out. Proverbs 18.21 is a very well-known verse, but not known in the heart. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. So daily, my words are either releasing death or my words are releasing life. Every day. So again, we got to do what? Be steadfast. Say steadfast. steadfast. Like the devil's challenging you. Be immovable. immovable. Always, abounding. Always. Always abounding. Always abounding. In what? The work of the Lord. Now watch this. Knowing that your labor, anything you do for the kingdom of God, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's helping you and it's helping others. Vain means useless. But when you do anything in relationship to the work of the Lord, it's never useless. Never. Every time you've ever taken the, 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 uh, the obedience in your heart and witnessed to somebody and shared something of the gospel, you might have said, well, it didn't really seem to do any good because they didn't receive it. It's never in vain. Seed was planted. Seed was watered. Folks, I was witness to for who knows how many years in my life before Coy Huffman came along and led me to Jesus. But all those seeds that were already planted and watered from years previous were all a part of that process. All really Coy did is he got in on the harvest end of it. Now he was part of that planting of that seed. I loved it. I saw we were watching the Cowboy Channel the other night, you know, on the National Day of the Cowboy. I didn't even realize I had this picture of me on my uncle's horse at my grandma's house, Kathy posted. But we were watching Salinas Rodeo. It's so good to see Coy behind those shoots again. Because it takes me back. It takes me back 30 plus years in my life when I was that young bull rider behind those shoots. And he would walk up to me 
and start talking to me and start talking to me about the Lord or bring a believer up and introduce him. And here he was at Selena. I took his picture on television. I stopped it. I took his picture and I said to him, I said, look at this good looking cowboy I saw on the back of the shoots at Salinas the other day. They had their church service. He did their church service this morning. And I'm so excited to see him getting back since COVID, getting back to doing what he loves to do and what God gifted him to do. And you don't realize that's what influenced this young man's life. But see, realize your labor's never in vain. Say it's never in vain. See what the devil wants to convince you. This is why most Christians don't witness. Because they say, well, I've tried. I've never saw any results. God never promised you would see results. God didn't say, hey, go do it if you see results. God said, you plant, you water. I'll give the increase. You know, there's people you've spoken to you've never seen again. You'll see them in heaven. You know what they're going to do? They're going to walk and say, Karina, you know what? You don't realize it, but when you actually told me about the Lord and shared a little bit about your Jesus and stuff, and I acted like I wasn't interested, I walked away and I started thinking about that. And other people started talking to me. And because of you starting off planting that seed, I'm in the kingdom today. So realize your labor's never in vain. I said it's never in vain. I said it's never in vain. That's why you need to abound in the work of the Lord. It's the only work you can abound in that's never useless. It's accomplishing something. It's accomplishing something. So once you see this on your notes, this is powerful. You ought to get this in your spirit, man, to help protect against the seduction and deception of the last days. Again, decide now that you're going to do what? You're going to tough it out no matter what. I'm not going to back down from doing what I know God tells me to do. I'm not going to back down from church attendance. I don't go to church just to be there. I go to church because I love Jesus. I love his house. I love his people. I get to go see my family. So realize I'm not backing down from anything God tells me I need to be walking out of my life. Because guess what the devil's trying to get you to do? Slowly back down. All right? 4A, be what? 4B, be what? So some of you are just now catching up. 4A, be what? 4B, immovable. 4C, Always abounding the work of the Lord. E, realize that your labor is never in vain in the Lord. You come into God's house as a part of the work of the Lord. It's not in vain. I said it's not in vain. Do you realize you given to the work of God is never in vain? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. You need to get that in your spirit, man. I'm steadfast. I'm immovable. I'm always going to abound. I'm going to abound. Not going to be just doing a little bit of work for God. No, I'm going to abound in the work of the Lord. I said, I'm going to abound in the work of the Lord. I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to be immovable. I'm going to abound in the work of the Lord. I'm not backing down, devil. I'm not backing down. You're not backing me down. I'm not backing down from my commitment to God, my commitment to my relationship with God, my commitment to other believers, my commitment to witness and share the gospel. See, that's what he wants to do. And if he can slowly get you to back down, guess what? You become now movable. You're being moved off of what he wants you to, what, what he doesn't want you to walk in. Because you're, you're no longer steadfast. You're not abounding in the work of the Lord. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I want you to notice this. In the next uh, few points here, there's how many? I want to look real quick. Six of them. So in these next six points, Dr. Barclay gives us preventive medicine for the day. Preventive medicine for the day in relationship to what? Uh, Seduction and deception. Ephesians 4.11. You there? He himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors. Some teachers, what do we have these fivefold for? Twelve, for the equipping of the saints. That must mean he wants me here to be equipped. 
Why would he give these fivefold ministry gifts if he didn't want me to come and get equipped? How many know you got to be steadfast, immovable, to come and be equipped in the work of God? Watch this. He goes on to say that we are coming to be equipped for the work of the ministry, for the, for the edifying building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God. That means to know Him as He's known, see Him face to face. That's talking about when He comes and gets us or we go to be with Him. We, would, we will then be a, a total, complete, perfect man in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know why you'll be in a glorified body? 14, tell your neighbor, I'm happy about that new body I'm getting. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> 14, that we should no longer be. Say no longer. longer. See, we're no longer supposed to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. By every form of teaching that's out there. That we are not giving in to this trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. 15, but we have leadership that is doing what? Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. To speak the truth means they teach us the whole Bible. Not select verses. Not just what we want to hear. But these fivefold ministry gifts are to speak the truth in love that we can do what? Grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Underline it. By what every joint supplies. What's every joint? The body. That's you. Say it be me. See, we're supposed to be abounding in the work of the... We're supposed to be abounding in the work of the... So even outside the church, but what about in the church? We're to be involved. We're to have our hands involved in the work of the ministry. We're to set our hand to something. To say, I'm a part, Lord. I'm a part. Notice what every part is doing is they are providing what? What they can supply according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So this is preventive medicine. Say preventive medicine. Number one, to prevent you from getting seduced or deceived, stay in your local church. There is great strength within the body of believers God has called you to. Amen? Stay in the local church. Be steadfast. Be steadfast. Immovable. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Say, I'm staying in my church. Because the last thing the devil wants you to do is stay in the church in the last days. Now, I'll quote some of these because we won't have time to go through all of them. I'll quote Hebrews 13, 7 to you. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Submit to and obey those who have the rule over you, for they watch out for your souls. Let them do this as a, in a way, in essence, that's not a hardship for them, because if it was, that would not be profitable for you. All right? So that's Hebrews 13, 17. These are what? These are preventive medicines to guard against seduction and deception. Number two, stay submitted to church leadership. Stay submitted to church leadership. It's Hebrews 13, 17. You go look it up yourself later. Submit to and obey those who have the rule over you. Now, the rule over you doesn't mean, you bless God, that's right. I've got the rule over you. You better do what I'm telling you to do. No, this is the rule. The Bible's the rule. I don't mean like a rule book, like a bunch of rules. I mean like a law that actually operates and functions. Like the law of lift, like the law of gravity, etc., etc. These are spiritual laws. As a leader, guess what I'm supposed to do? Guess what I'm supposed to hold over you? The rule. No, I don't beat you with it. No. But you know what I got to do? Hold it up. 
My responsibility is to hold this high and say, this is what we live by, guys. This is what we submit to. This is what we acknowledge in our life is God speaking to us. That 20% of Americans now today say is no longer God speaking to us. But this is God speaking to us. Why in the world do you think I keep telling anybody who ever comes to me for help the same thing over and over again? Because this is the rule. This is how it works. Now here's the key to make this work good for you and not make it hard for me. Submit to it. Because when he says submit to those who have the rule over you, submitting to them means I'm submitting to what? I've taught you this. What am I submitting to? What am I, I am submitting to the word. But listen to this. Submit to those. Submit to those who have the rule over you, holding up the rule over your life. Submit to those. What am I submitting to? I'm submitting to the gift. Ephesians 4, Jesus gave gifts to men. To be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. You don't ever submit to a human. You submit to the gift that's on that person's life to teach you the rule. To help you walk in the rule. If, if, this is so critical. I don't, uh, still to me a lot of Christians don't get it. God's never asked you to submit to a man. He's asking you to submit to a gift I put on him. To help you understand the rule. So how do I actually do that, Pastor, protect myself from seduction and deception? It's simple. You recognize my pastor has a gift to tell me what the Bible says. He has a gift on his life to reveal to me how this works. And if he comes to me and shows me how this works, and I keep choosing not to do it and coming back and saying, but you need to help me. I already did. Here's how it works. And I won't do it. You're going to make it as a hardship on your pastor. That will not be profitable to you. Do you know why that's not profitable to you? You know why it's not profitable to you? Because you're not doing what God said to fix your problem. Who gets the profitableness of the word of God? Doers of the word. So you are correct. Some of you say, well, we submit to the word. That's correct. But listen to the phrase, submit to those. Hebrews 13, 17, submit to those who have the rule over you. Submitting to those means I'm submitting to that gift. When we bring an apostle in here, you submit to that gift, not the person. The gift that's on them to open your eyes to the word. So I recognize they're gifted. Say gifted. Say gifted. They're gifted by God to help bring understanding and revelation of the word to me. But it does me no good if I don't submit to that gift. Because if I don't submit to that gift, you know what you're going to do? You're going to challenge the word. See, if you don't believe I'm gifted to help you, you're going to challenge the Word. Well, I don't know if I believe that or not. Wait a minute. Do you believe I'm gifted to teach you the Bible or not? Well, yeah, I believe you have a gift to teach the Bible. Then submit to that gift, and if you do, you'll start getting more from the Word. Are you getting that? See, but if I don't submit to the gift of my pastor, I'm going to scrutinize everything he says. And if I scrutinize everything he says, guess what I'm not going to hear? The rule. I'm not going to get the benefit of what God's trying to teach me. Because I'm too focused on scrutinizing what my pastor says. Why? I evidently don't think he's gifted to pastor me. But I know Dr. Barclay is gifted to pastor me. And he has a gift to do it. And that's why I listen and submit to that gift and receive what he teaches from the Word of God. And if you apply it, guess what? You make it easy for your pastor. And more important, it's profitable for you. All right, Colossians 3, we just saw this. But I want you to go to it real quick because there's another little verse in there. Tucked away right before what we saw. I want you to get your eyes on. You're so close. Just turn forward. 
Come on, past Philippians, back over into Colossians. But we're going to chapter 3. We were just in chapter 2. This is powerful, chapter 3. What are we talking about right now? Six forms of preventive medicine to guard against seduction and deception. What's the first one? Stay in your local church. church. What's the second one? Stay Stay submitted to your leadership. Which I just tried to give you a real quick little teaching on how to do that. Uh, Colossians 3.16. You there yet? Let the word of Christ. The what? The word of Christ. Dwell in you what? Richly. Richly. Dwell in you. Live in you. Come alive in you. Richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Meaning that you shouldn't be moaning, groaning, and complaining. You ought to be praising and thanking God for all that he's told us in the word. So let the word of Christ do what? Dwell in you richly. Third preventative work in your life to protect against seduction and deception. Simple. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Let them dwell in you. Let them literally live in you richly. Meaning what? To overflowing. You know what that means? You don't need less of the word. You need more of the word. Richly means it's overflowing. It's an abundance. You shouldn't say, well, okay, I've listened to an hour of preaching today. I don't need to listen anymore. Let me help you. You should be listening to the word preached as much as possible. Because you're getting what? You're getting literally, in essence, saturated with the word of God. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10. Come on, we're almost done. These are preventive medicines. uh, Steps you can take to prevent getting caught up in seduction and deception of the last days. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. For we dare not class ourselves or... Com- this is... This, I love this. I want to see somebody read this. I want to see somebody say this like really, really fast. It's like a tongue twister. We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves by they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves. They're not wise. Can I help you with that verse? Stop comparing yourself to anybody else. That's all he had to say. Stop comparing yourself. Evidently, he had more than that that we need to say for sure. Because these people also commend themselves, obviously. 13, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which, notice this especially, talking to the Corinthians, includes you. In other words, we're not building ourselves up, boasting of ourselves. We're just trying to help you. 14, for we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority, excuse me, as though our authority did not extend to you, because it did. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is in other men's uh, labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. All Paul was saying is we're not trying to boast on ourselves as we're teaching you the word. We're trying to help you. We're just trying to help you. 16, we are here to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself, this is the key, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. So all that to say, what's this is a form of preventive medicine. Number four, be content with what God is doing in you. Be content with what God's doing in you. Oftentimes people are not. Paul's saying we're not going to boast in ourselves. We're not going beyond our sphere of what God called us to do. We're here to help you to preach the gospel to you. 
But some people want to step out beyond where God's called them. Some people want to step out beyond what God's actually gifted them or called them to do. How many know you don't want to do that? Because if you do, guess what you're what's guess what's happening? You're being seduced or deceived. Amen? And you and I don't want to wind up in a situation where we're going off into something that we're not called to do as a child of God. And that's really kind of more so ministry because a lot of people, oftentimes, it's amazing to me how many people want to be in ministry and then I talk to them and deal with them of different ministers, people that I know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, wait a minute, you can't even have, handle this little problem with a handful of people and you want to be in the ministry. You're going to deal with a whole lot more people than that. And I guarantee you, if you're not gifted or called to do it, it will drive you crazy. But you need to be gifted, amen? So simply do what? Be content with what God's doing in you. Don't try to go beyond what God's not doing in you to try to do something that you're not called to, amen? Romans 12, 2, you should all know. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So number five, simple. Constantly renew your mind with the word of God. Why? Transformation doesn't take place without the mind of, without the renewal of the mind. Please tell me one believer that doesn't need their mind renewed anymore. But some seem to act that way. Some. Not you. Uh, like a little better amens than that. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. Sadly, some people get to where they're unteachable now. Well, what you're saying is, I don't need my mind renewed anymore. Yeah, you do. We all do. Because the only way continual transformation takes place, by the way, the Bible says we're to go from glory to glory. That's transformation. But that don't happen without renewal of the mind. And again, something else I've observed as a pastor. I've watched people over the years sit in my church, and where they were really hungry and excited about the word when they first heard it, now they're hearing it again. They're bored. I've watched people go from bringing their Bibles to taking notes, to not even bringing a Bible, just sitting in church looking at you. And I already know, your mind's no longer being renewed. You are no longer being transformed. Because what it took for you to renew your mind in the beginning is what it still takes to renew your mind today. God didn't change the renewal process. So realize you don't want to go there. I said you don't want to go there. Last one, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Notice, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among, uh, and divided them among all as anyone had need. This is the beginning of the birth of the church. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. How often were they at the house of God? Daily. daily. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I know he still wants to do that today. So what were they doing? All who believed. Say it now. All who believed. Underline that. All who believed were together. All who believed were together. All who believed were together. And they began to do what? They began to come together in the house of God home to home, fellowshipping and enjoying that relationship with one another. This is number six. Fellowship with people of like precious faith. Fellowship with people of like precious faith. Why? Keep you strong. It'll keep you strong. 
You know, what got Brother Hagin in the position he wound up in as a minister was him finally realizing as he got, as his words say, the left boot of fellowship from the Baptist because he believed in healing. He literally had a full gospel church that came to his community that came in a tent initially and started doing meetings. And they got a bunch of people saved. They built a church and began to have services. And of course, at that time, as a Baptist, he believed in healing, but he still didn't believe in the tongues. Because all the Baptist ministers he knew said, don't get, don't get too close to that stuff. That's not of God. And so he said, but I would still go fellowship with them in their services when I could go because they believed in faith and healing. Like faith. Like faith. He said, and there's an old saying, you keep hanging around the slippery bank bed, sooner or later you're going to slide in. And he said, guess what? I eventually slid in. And I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, started speaking in tongues. So understand, being with people of like precious faith is critical to keeping yourself protected from seduction and deception. Amen? Preventive maintenance, number one, stay in God's house. Number two, stay submitted to your leadership. Number three, which simply means what? Live in the Bible. Live in the Word. Number four, be content with what God is doing with you. In case of some cases where I might want to do something else or this or that or whatever, but it's not in agreement with everybody else for me to do it, be content where you are. Be happy where God's using you. Amen? Five, constantly renew your mind to the Word of God. Six, fellowship of people of like precious faith. And you and I can do what? We can be aware of seduction and deception and not fall prey to it. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.